Well, each Sunday we have the joy of gathering together, knowing that Jesus promised that where two or three are gathered in his name, that he is there with them. You know, Jesus who has triumphed over sin, who has risen from the dead, has ascended to heaven, who now sits at the right hand of the Father. But as a sign of his continuing presence among his people, Jesus has poured out his spirit onto his people, onto the church. Uh, We believe that the spirit dwells with the church. Um, You know, we know that the spirit dwells in all Christians. But when its Christians are gathered together in the name of Christ, we believe that there's a particular promise of Christ's spirit and his presence there with them. But I wonder what that looks like. What does a gathering of the church filled with the spirit of Christ look like? You know, there are some churches here in Kansas City who believe that a spirit-filled gathering looks like a lot of supernatural, kind of unexplainable manifestations. You know, perhaps you've seen some of these gatherings on TV. Uh, They might have a lot of people kind of babbling all at once, Uh, people falling over the aisles, laughing uncontrollably, barking, shaking. You know, and it kind of makes sense then because the, the spirit is mysterious and powerful. And to them, they, they would expect to encounter these kinds of unexplainable manifestations if the spirit is present. Or, or maybe to, to you or to others, uh, the spirit, a spirit-filled church looks like just an amazing emotional kind of music experience, right? Whether it's a majestic choir singing in a soaring cathedral or a cutting-edge rock band with lasers and fogs. You know, I was a worship leader in the 90s and 2000s. I guess I still am sometimes. But for me at that time, like a spirit-filled gathering was like dim lights, lots of eyes closed, lots of hands raised, Um, As a worship leader, I would say, you know, this is a time just between you and God. Just block everybody else out and focus on you and God. You know, to me, that was a spirit-filled gathering, right? A a time of individualized, intense, personal experience of God. And then I entered into sort of my, my theological phase, right? Where I learned about like Reformed theology and systematic theology and church history and soon I was less interested in what was going on with the music, but more interested in what was going on in the preaching. Uh, music was okay as long as it was theological. Um, as long as every song clearly walked through like the important points of the gospel. Uh, but then the main thing was the preaching, right? Give me a, a rich, meaty theological sermon. And uh, that would be the sign of a spirit-filled gathering. If I walked away with like, brand new insights into God's word and uh, encouraged in my own theological views, then I knew that the spirit was present. You know, I wonder what you think a spirit-filled gathering of a church looks like. Is Warnall Road Baptist Church a spirit-filled gathering of God's people? You know, how tragic would it be if we like 
took the time and the effort to get dressed and get our kids ready and come here on beautiful Sunday mornings week after week. And God, we're not here. God, we're not with us. Are we a spirit-filled gathering of the church? How would we know if the spirit was present? This morning, we finished a short little series that I'm doing in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, In this letter, Paul is addressing various difficulties that the church is facing there in Corinth. And, And one of those difficulties was how people were competing against one another in the use of spiritual gifts in the corporate gathering of the church. And so Paul is going to address that. In chapters 12 and 13, Paul lays out sort of a a theological foundation for how to think about that. You know, that the church is the body of Christ. We are members of one another. That diversity in the body is a gift uh, and not a cause of division. That we are to cherish that diversity and guard the unity of the church. And as we saw last week, that the supreme mark of God's people is love. More important than all the spiritual gifts was the call for us to love one another. Now, with all of that in place, we come to chapter 14. And here, Paul is going to then talk about how do we actually behave in the corporate gatherings of the church when it comes to our spiritual gifts. Uh, In all of their pursuit of supernatural gifts, here is how they could truly know that their gatherings are truly supernatural, truly marked by the work of the Spirit. All right, so, so if you're taking notes, here's my outline, okay? I've got just kind of one idea. <clears throat> strive to build up the body. Strive to build up the body through Spirit-filled clarity and Spirit-filled order. Strive to build up the body through Spirit-filled clarity and spirit-filled order. That's kind of the takeaway I want all of you to walk away with of what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 14. Um, And that's my outline too, spirit-filled clarity, spirit-filled order. That's what we're going to be thinking about. And I pray that even as we walk through this, that, that we would not take the Spirit's presence with us for granted. Oh no, but that we would be intentionally shaping our gatherings according to the Spirit's word. All right, so number one, spirit-filled clarity. Strive to build up the body through spirit-filled clarity. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. If you're looking in the pew Bibles in front of you, it's on page 960. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and inner earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? 
If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if, you, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Well, we get a sense here of the problem that the Corinthians were dealing with. Uh, Apparently, the tongue-speaking members were causing confusion in the gathering of the church. Uh, What are tongues? What's this tongues that Paul is talking about here? Well, Paul says that they utter mysteries in the spirit. You know, these tongues were mysterious utterances, miraculously prompted by the spirit, offered as prayers and, and songs to God. You know, apparently these utterances made no sense to anybody around them. But they really encouraged the individual who was doing the the speaking. Uh, In in verses 14 and 15, it seems that many people were speaking in tongues all at once, while praying, while singing. As you can imagine, those who didn't speak in tongues were probably super annoyed at these people, uh, ready to kick them out of the church. Uh, the, The tongue speakers probably thought that they were way more spiritual than everybody else. Um, since they were speaking in this mysterious language. And all the while, the outsiders, the visitors who were there, just thought that these, this gathering of Christians were crazy. You know, thankfully, as far as I know, I don't think we're dealing with anything like that here at Warnall Road Baptist Church, as far as I know. Um, 
you know, some churches are dealing with confusion like this. Um, and yet there are still, I think, really important things that we can take away from what Paul is teaching the Corinthian church here. You know, what does Paul say? Well, in one sense, uh, the Corinthians were fighting about who was more spiritual and gifted. You know, so Paul says to them, do you want to be a spiritual church? A spirit-filled church? Look at verse 12. Since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. I mean, I think here is a key verse for us. Do you want the spirit to be manifest in your gatherings? Then strive to excel in building up the church, Paul says. What does it mean to build up the church? What does it mean to edify your fellow Christian? Well, it means helping them to handle God's word better, to understand God's word better. It means helping them to to reject the lies of the devil and of sin and to resist temptation and to confess their sins. It means encouraging them and, and, and building their confidence and faith and joy in the gospel. It means equipping them to be more faithful in obedience to Christ. In other words, strive to help your brothers and sisters grow to be more like Christ. That, that is a sign, that is the sign of the Spirit being manifest in the church. That there are people here growing and helping one another to grow into Christ's likeness. And, and to get to that point where we are being built up, one of the fundamental qualities that we need, according to this section here, is to pursue Spirit-filled clarity. Right? Our gatherings need to be intelligible. We need to understand what's going on. And that's the point of this section. Paul doesn't deny that speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift. Notice, he doesn't say, oh, those people should just stop doing that. That's not, that's not what he says. No, he says that when it comes to the gathering of the church, in order for there to be edification, you need to understand what's going on. What happens here needs to be intelligible. Words need to be, need to be understood in order for there to be edification. Which is why, then, in the gathering, Paul says prophecy is better than speaking in tongues. What's prophecy? What's the prophecy that Paul is speaking of here? Uh, I don't think it's the preaching of the word. That's not what he's referring to. That was typically reserved for the elders of the church. Uh, Rather, this was kind of a spontaneous, spirit-filled, kind of spirit-led, kind of intelligible words spoken to one another from the congregation. Words of upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. You see there in verse 3. Uh, and these are words spoken by people to one another. And because they were understandable, they were appropriate for the church gathering. So, you know, notice here, without understanding, there is no edification. We are not built up in Christ's likeness unless, Paul says, our minds are, are engaged. No matter how moving the music is, no matter how emotional the tears no matter how great your sense of awe, if your mind is not engaging with God's truth, you are not being built up in Christ. Edification requires our minds, our understanding, and all those other things follow. And what we see here in verses 6 through 19 is that a significant way that our minds are engaged 
with the truth of God's word is through one another, right? Yes, we are, we are called to kind of meditate on God's word on our own. Uh, but in God's wisdom, he has designed that we learn things as we learn things, we are to share them with one another. We are to speak them to one another. And as we do so, the church is built up. Uh, you know, when we speak truth to one another clearly and understandably, the spirit takes that. He takes whatever insights that we've gained, whatever lessons that we've learned, and he uses it in the lives of your brothers and sisters around you. Um, if you can't understand each other, the spirit doesn't do that. Uh, as we see in verse 11, if, if you're speaking in, in tongues, then you might as well be speaking a foreign language. Like you might as well be a, a foreigner to, to the people around you. And, and that's not what God intended. Right? Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, the, the vision of the New Testament is always the church as each part of the body does its work, it builds itself up into Christ. And so we see in verses 13 to 19, what the tongue speakers should do. If someone wants to speak in tongues, well, then they should pray that they can interpret what's going on, that the Holy Spirit would grant them understanding of what's being said. You know, so, so rather than praying or singing in tongues, they should interpret and pray and sing with their minds also so that others can understand what's going on and be edified. Otherwise, they should stay silent. You know, as, as meaningful and spiritual as tongues may be, Paul says, because it is unintelligible, far better than to stay silent rather than confuse people. Because the gathering is not about individual edification. There, there's a time and a place for that. But when we're all together, the goal is to build up the body. And so in verse 16, Paul gives an example of prayers in the gathering. Um, you know, corporate prayers are not just prayers for the individual leading in prayer to enjoy. You know, I, I don't, I've grown up in church long enough where I've heard prayers where the person is leading is basically just having like a personal conversation with God. And we're all just kind of listening in, you know, dear God, I was going to the store this past week and I met so-and-so and I got a flat tire. And it's just like telling this long winding story. And I'm just thinking like, what, what am I here for? Right. Um, that, that's not what we do in our corporate gatherings, right? Rather we see here that when someone prays in the corporate gathering, they are leading the church, the whole church, in thanksgiving and supplication and confession and praise, praying to God on their behalf so that everybody can pray along with them. And at the end of the prayer, everybody can agree with what was prayed by saying amen, right? Um, what, what a powerful thing that is when we don't all just have sort of individual prayers, but we actually all come together and voice our united petitions to God together. Um, <clears throat> this is a precious thing that we do as a church. So don't take that for granted. If you ever have a chance to lead the church in prayer, 
lead in such a way so that everyone can pray along with you and agree with you in what you pray and say amen to what you've prayed. Because when you do that, the church is built up. Paul says in verse 15, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Yeah, that, that's the, the value ratio there, right? I, I would rather own five uh, Tesla stocks than 10,000 blockbuster stocks, right? Um, that, that, that's the, the, the comparison that we're making here. Uh, you'd rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 meaningless words. Clear, understandable words are precious for the church. In, in verses 20 to 25, really fascinating. Paul gives us some theological perspective. What, what, what's the deal with tongues? Why, why do they even exist? Right? Um, at this point in redemptive history, you know, Paul quotes Isaiah 28, which Kyle read for us earlier this morning. And just as the presence of foreign tongues amid Israel during the Assyrian invasion indicated God's judgment on the people of Israel, so does the presence of tongues in this fallen world exist as a sign of God's judgment. Uh, Paul is making that analogy, right? Foreign tongues in Israel during judgment. Now these supernatural tongues in the world, uh, a sign of God's judgment on this fallen world. And that judgment is compounded when unbelievers walk in and if they see confusion and they hear people speaking in tongues, they walk away confused and rejecting Christianity. But the church is not merely to exist in this world as a sign of God's judgment, but also as a beacon of hope. Uh, the, the church is where sin is exposed, yes, but also where the good news of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. And so Paul urges the Corinthians, no, prophesy, speak the truth of the gospel so that even visitors can understand and hear the good news and turn to God. And so the gospel must be communicated clearly and intelligibly in the gathering of the church. Let me try to bring all this together just in a few points of application. You know, number one, I think what, one thing we should take away from this is that for you, as, as somebody who participates in the worship of the church, make sure that the worship of this church is intelligible to you. It's understandable and clear to you. You know, before we can be speak intelligibly to others, we have to make sure that we understand what, you know, the worship ourselves. So, you know, I mean, I think the, the, the pastors, the elders who organize the services here, they don't mean for anything here to be confusing or, or just sort of gibberish to you. No, it, it all should make sense. So, so when it comes to the creeds that we regularly confess in our gatherings, like, do you know what they're saying? Do, do they make sense to you? Um, do you know what all of that means? And not only what it means, but why it matters, why it's wonderfully good news, the things that we confess together. Uh, if, if there's anything that you ever come across in a creed or in a statement of faith that just kind of is puzzling to you, like, why is that there? Why do, why do we say it like that? Talk to somebody about it. Talk to your small group leader. Talk, talk to one of the pastors. Uh, talk to someone that might know the answer to that. You know, find out what these things mean 
Make sure that the worship is, is intelligible here to you. Uh, the same goes with our songs. You know, of course, it's a good thing for us to engage our affections as we sing. But we want our affections to be driven first and foremost by our understanding. Right? Music is powerful. And sometimes it can produce emotions that are disconnected from any kind of understanding going on in our minds. And, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a wrong, wrong thing. You know, music is a gift. But we don't want to be content merely with emotions. So, so understand what you're seeing and grasp it by faith uh, and allow that to call forth praise from your hearts. You know, I, I like it that we sing songs from throughout church history, but the problem with that is sometimes they use phrases that we don't understand, right? We don't understand the, the archaic terms. So look those things up. Make sure you know what you're singing. Um, there's that one hymn, uh, Praise to the Lord, Lord Almighty, and it talks about, dang, now I'm blanking. Uh, something how it ends with like, the praise for I or something. And, and that, that's like a, I learned that that's like a Scottish phrase for like forever. For I means forever. It's like, oh, okay. That's what I'm singing. You know. Um, you know, or like that other song that we sing, We Will Feast. And that, that third verse that says, um, um, from the garden to the grave, bind us together, bring shalom. You know, that's a Hebrew word for peace, right? So, so if you're just, you, see, you don't know that, then you see that, you're like, what am I saying? So, so f- find out, right, what these songs mean so that as you sing them, it makes sense to you. Our worship should be intelligible to us. Um, if there's anything that goes on in our worship that's confusing or unclear, look into it. Find out what it means, right? We don't intend it to be confusing. Uh, number two, um, aspire also to speak then clearly to each other, to speak uh, edifying words to each other. If you ever have opportunities to lead in prayer or to lead in the singing or to, or to, or to lead or to pray or speak on a Wednesday night, I mean, that's the, that's the standard that you should aim at, right? Speak understandable words. Uh, speak clear words because that's what edifies God's people. You know, the goal is not to impress people with your knowledge. The goal is not to quote your favorite theologian. Uh, or to make people laugh. You know, those things aren't wrong. But they all serve the main goal, which is that you would make God's truth clear and that people would be edified. Um, I, I think one of the best ways that we make God's truth clear is when we share not somebody else's ideas and somebody else's words, but stuff coming out of our own lives and coming out of our own hearts. Um, something that when we share insights that we have personally gained, you know, I think often when we are sort of parroting other people's ideas, that's when we can tend to be sort of unclear and confusing. But when we share about the difference the gospel has made in our lives, especially during difficult times, uh, that's when we, when people see the power of the gospel at work in us, you know, that means being vulnerable, but that's often how we make truth clear to people. You know, what a gift every member of the church is to the church. You know, you, you each come out of your own background, your personality, your gifts, your experiences. And, and together, this is a rich treasury of gospel truth right here in the church. And so build up one another as you speak to one another out of those things. And then finally, uh, we should aim to make the gospel clear to visitors. To, to visitors who are in our midst. You know, if you're a visitor here, we're so glad 
that you're here. I'm going to talk about you to the church for a little bit. Sorry if that's awkward. Um, you know, but as much as this is a family gathering, don't forget, church, that this is also a public gathering. You know, sometimes churches give the impression of being these, like, large, imposing buildings, like these, these walled-off fortresses. No, that's far from the truth. You know, clearly, the Corinthian church had visitors and unbelievers in their meetings. And, and so should we, right? You are always welcome to invite your neighbors and your friends to this gathering. This is a public gathering of the church. Uh, I, I like it when I come on Sunday mornings and the front doors are wide open, right? Anybody who's jogging by can, if they want, just walk right on in and sit down and be a part of what's going on in here. I mean, we as Christians have nothing to hide. Uh, we're not doing anything weird or illegal or crazy in here. And what goes on in our gatherings uh, should be intelligible, not only to us, but to those who are visiting. And that's not to say that they should understand every single reference or term, but overall, they should understand what's going on. You know, most of all, they should hear and understand the gospel. As Christians, we don't speak in a secret language. Uh, we don't have any secret rituals or, or secret knowledge. No, wh whatever we believe, we are clear and honest and upfront about, about that. And, and we pray that our lives show the power of God at work in us. You know, spe again, speaking to the church, uh, I, I think there's only so much that we can do in the course of a service. But I think one of the best ways to make the gospel clear to visitors um, is simply by befriending them, by um, walking up to them, you know, after the service and talking to them. Let me encourage you, if you are a member of this church, uh, after the service, for the first 10 minutes, don't talk to anybody that you already know. Uh, look around, see if there's somebody that you don't know, might be another member of the church, might be a visitor. But if there's somebody that you don't know, go introduce yourself. Say hi to them. Um, ask them their name. Get to know them a little bit. Uh, you know, your friends are still going to be around after 10 minutes. You can go talk to them later. But for the first 10 minutes, say, uh, commit. I'm just going to talk to somebody I don't know here in the church. Uh, you know, it's in those conversations that you have an opportunity to, to get to know somebody new. And, and the visitor has a chance to, for the very first time, perhaps, meet a, a real flesh and blood Christian. Um, so take advantage of that. And on that note, let me speak to visitors. If you are a visitor here this morning, you know, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, the one thing we want more than anything else is for you to walk away with just a, a clear understanding of what we're all about, what we believe. We're not, there, there are no secrets here as far as that goes. Um, we, we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel is the message that that though God made us in love, though God deserves our perfect obedience, we all have rebelled against him. We have gone our own way. We have lived according to our desires, our selfishness. And we have brought evil and suffering and pain into this world. Uh, and God, being a holy God, will judge all evil one day. But before that day... Rather than condemning us, God has shown grace. And the greatest act of grace was that he sent his son into this world, Jesus Christ, 
who came into this world, who took on our humanity, and who died on the cross in the place of sinners. He bore the judgment that we deserved. And then he rose from the dead in triumph over our sin and over death so that all who now repent of their sin and trust in Jesus will be saved. They will be reconciled to God. Friends, it's this truth, this amazing truth of God's love. This is why we're here. This is why Christians exist. And if you want to learn more about that, we would love to talk to you more about that after the service. Uh, But even now, that good news is held out to you if you will trust in Christ by faith. Well, that's the first point. Strive to build up the body through spirit-filled clarity. Number two, also strive to build up the body through spirit-filled order. Spirit-filled order. Look at verse 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each, one, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Well, in verse 26, we see the setting, right? When you come together, everyone's got something to contribute, a hymn, a a lesson, a revelation, a tongue. You know, with, with so much going on, the church gathering can start to feel a bit like a circus, right? Uh, everything going on at once. Everybody's got something to say. Everybody wants to use their gifts. And it's all just a confusing mess. Paul says, no, no, don't, don't, don't do it like that. The, the church is not a talent show. Uh, it's not a platform for you to show off your gifts. No, the church exists for edification. Verse 26, let all things be done for building up. And the way we go about that is by making sure that all activity is done in good order. Verse 40, all things should be done decently and in order. That's Paul's point here in this section. Why? Well, verse 31, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. 
Now notice, being spirit-filled doesn't mean that things have to be wild and unstructured and spontaneous. No, actually, it's the opposite. Here we see God is a God of peace, of order. If the, if the Spirit is present, we should expect to see the gathering of God's people marked by order and intentionality and care because this is how the church learns and is edified. And so Paul gives practical instructions in three areas. Uh, verses 26 to 28, he speaks to those who are speaking in tongues. You know, so he says to them, don't have too many, only two or three at the most. And, and don't do it all at once, take turns, and of course, make sure that there is an interpreter. You know, I should just say, as a church, we don't have an official, uh, it's not in our statement of faith, kind of an official position on speaking in tongues or, or miraculous gifts. Uh, the, elders here have, have, the elders here have intentionally decided not to divide over that issue. So we may have members who believe that the gift of tongues continues for this day, and that's okay. And we have perhaps other members who don't, and that's okay too. Uh, if you believe you have the gift of tongues, then see here that Paul gives very clear instructions for what it would look like to bring them into the gathering of the church. Um, which means... If you ever wanted to, like, speak in tongues in the service or felt prompted by the Spirit to do so, like, talk to the elders first. And they will work it through with you as to, like, would that even be wise? Would that even be good for the building up of the church? And, and they would work through that issue with you for what it would look like to apply this to our gatherings. Uh, in verses 29 to 33, we see, again, order when it comes to the gift of prophecy, Right? Again, these are spontaneous words of encouragement from the congregation prompted by the Spirit. But even here, Paul says only two or three, right, at the most. Don't, don't let these prophecies monopolize the time of the gatherings. Uh, again, isn't that interesting? You know, both for the tongues and the prophecy folks, Paul is saying, you sometimes serve the church best by not using your, your, your favorite gift, Right? By being silent. Again, it, it all serves the order and the edification of the church. I, I remember uh, in my previous church, there was a member who believed that her spiritual gift was drama, was, was putting on dramas for the church. And we sort of very graciously let her know that we, you know, we would love to work with her to think about how she could use that gift to help with like evangelism or to, to help with our children's ministry. Uh, but we were not going to be doing drama in the corporate gatherings of the church on Sunday mornings. Um, and, and I remember saying to her, like, you know, uh, it's great that you think that, you know, kind of your number one gift, drama, is, is a great service to the church. But what if what the church really needed at this point was like your number three gift or your number ten gift? Like, would you be willing to, to use those gifts to serve the church? Um, you know, I, I think Paul's words here challenge us in that direction. That at the end of the day, it's not about what kind of your favorite spiritual gifts you think you have, that, that the church ought to be the place where you can use them. No, it's what serves the body, what serves the building up of the church. You know, along those lines, Paul says, let others weigh what is said, right, when it comes to the people speaking in prophecies. 
you know, not just to take everything at face value, but the congregation has a responsibility to weigh what is said. Uh, which is interesting because Paul is not denying that these people are speaking by the Spirit. But just because they claim that doesn't mean that it goes unevaluated. I think that's what he means when he says the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Now, those who speak words of prophecy are subject to the prophets, to, to Moses and to David and to Isaiah and to Matthew and John and all the other prophets and apostles who spoke to us the word of God so that all may learn and be encouraged. And now we come to verses 34 and 35. Uh, you know, we've seen order in speaking. Now I think Paul is talking about order in relationships. But, but I'm going to tell you, this is a really difficult passage right here, these two verses. What does Paul, what in the world does Paul mean here in verses 34 and 35? Like, it's difficult for three reasons, I'm going to tell you, okay? Number one, it's difficult because Paul seems to speak without any qualifications. He says women should keep silent in the churches. He doesn't say why. He doesn't sort of give the context for that. He just says, he says they should keep silent very, very kind of plainly. So that's, that's confusing. Number two, um, this seems to go against what he's saying in chapter 11. You can turn there later if you'd like. Chapter 11 deals with the issue of head coverings which is a whole other issue that we don't have the time to get into. But there, women are praying and prophesying in the gathering of the church. And he has no problem with that. No, his concern there is how they do it. But he doesn't forbid them from praying and prophesying in this, and speaking in the church. So, so how does that fit with what he's saying here in chapter 14? So that's another difficult thing. And number three, it's difficult because how does this, these two verses fit within the flow of thought of the whole passage, right? Up to this point, he's been talking about spiritual gifts, people speaking in tongues, people prophesying, but then he introduces this idea of, of women speaking. So, so, so where did that come from? You know, how does that, how does that fit in? You know, Peter writes in second Peter, how Paul writes things that are hard to understand, uh, you know, he might, have, he might have been talking about, like, predestination, but I think this is far more difficult. <laughs> um, whatever Paul meant here, like all inspired scripture, uh, we trust that this is for the good and the, and the flourishing of the church. Uh, we're not embarrassed by it. And at the same time, we can be honest that we may not fully understand all that was going on, um, all that Paul was saying here. Now, I've looked at commentaries. Nobody knows for sure what was going on. Um, but, but I can make a few observations that perhaps can help us. All right. So first of all, remember that the issue in this section of this chapter is about order in the church. Paul wants all things to be done decently and in good order. So it appears that there are issues of social decency and order at play. Uh, you know, and so kind of taking a step back, perhaps there's a reminder here that when we gather as a church, yes, we rejoice in the sense that we are all one in Christ. That is a wonderful truth. Um, but that doesn't nullify uh, the existence of our continuing sort of social relationships in the world. 
Um, yes, we are one, but we continue to be men and women. Um, yes, we are one, but we continue to be husbands and wives and children and parents and co-workers and bosses and, and employers and so on. You know, all those natural societal relationships don't go away when we join the church, but they are transformed by the gospel. So, so something of societal order and decency should be preserved in the church. I think that's something of what's going on here. Number two, Paul seems to especially be speaking to wives. You know, could it be that in all of the confusion going on in the service, certain women were disrupting the service with questions? You know, after all, the issue is good order, and it would be distracting if people kept interrupting the service by asking questions. So, so Paul is saying, no, don't do that. Ask your husbands at home. You know, if the goal is for all to be edified, don't make it just about your individual questions. You know, I wonder if this was, in a way, a subtle jab at those husbands uh, who were perhaps too busy speaking in tongues to, like, care for their wives. Um, you know, I think this is an important reminder here to husbands that we have a role to play in caring for our wives' growth uh, in, in their understanding of the word. You know, thankfully, God has given us pastors in this church who can help us in that, but, but there's still a responsibility for, for, for all husbands to, to help their wives to grow. And so, so, wives, you have permission to ask your husband any theological question that you ever have. Uh, as, as, as difficult as it may be. Um, good luck, husbands. Uh, and third, I think it's possible here that the silence that Paul has in mind relates to his instructions in 1 Timothy 2. Uh, there, there that Paul is clear that the teaching office of the church, that, that el- the office of elders, is reserved for men. Uh, again, I'm not exactly sure what was going on in that Corinthian context, but it's possible that the instructions here connect with that instruction in 1 Timothy 2. <clears throat> the principle is clear. All things should be done decently and in order. And, and that's as much in our use of spiritual gifts as it is in how we conduct our relationships, all for the building up of the body. No, I think as a church, we should be encouraged by what we see here in chapter 14 of, of, the, of the letter of Corinthians. Um, because, you know, I think well-ordered gatherings are a, a sign of God's grace. Uh, I'm thankful that the leaders of this church do a good job of ordering our worship service. Uh, I'm thankful that on Wednesday nights, people take turns when they speak and when they pray so that everybody can participate and be built up. I'm, I'm thankful that all the teaching and singing that happens on Sundays and in small groups uh, and, and uh, in our Sunday school classes, that they're all evaluated and weighed by the elders and by, by the church so that what we get is edifying. You know, friends, if you've ever been in churches that are not well-ordered, you, you understand what a gift it is for a church to be kind of, again, well-ordered. Again, let me just close with just some very few points of application. Just to underscore that last point that I said, you know, that that we do have a responsibility to evaluate all that goes on in the church, all the speaking that goes on in the church according to God's word, right? That, That as members of the church, you have a responsibility to evaluate what you're hearing. 
You know, there's a lot of room to be gracious, to allow for disagreement on secondary issues and tertiary issues. But we want to be attentive to what people are saying. We want to weigh what they're saying according to Scripture. And, we, and when we see that what they're saying is found in Scripture, then, boy, we can just rejoice. And we can allow that to speak to us and build us up and encourage us. Uh, and and when, when we are edified, we want to thank people and, and encourage them for speaking into our lives. Um, if someone, if you ever come across somebody who's starting to teach something that you're not seeing in Scripture, it doesn't sound quite right. Uh, God forbid if, if somebody begins to teach something that is wrong, dangerously wrong, then you also have a responsibility to say something in love for that person um, and help them kind of see the truth according to God's word. As we saw last week, love rejoices with the truth. And, and this is one of the ways that we love one another. Uh, number two, participate in the congregational life of the church. Right? I, I hope that the sum total of your participation in the life of the church is not just Sunday mornings. Um, it seems that there was a lot more going on in the Corinthian gathering, uh, possibly because it was harder for them to meet during the week. You know, and the way that the, the pastors here have structured our life together, yes, we gathered on Sunday mornings, and that's devoted especially to the corporate worship and the preaching of the word. But so much of the congregational elements of our life together happened during the week, happened on Wednesday nights, happened in growth groups, happened in discipling relationships and in hospitality. So, so cultivate all of those aspects of our church life um, in your own life. Because it's in those contexts that we see the, the more congregational aspects of speaking to one another happening. Um, you know, let, let me especially encourage you to come out on Wednesday nights every other week to our midweek gathering to pray with the church. Uh, it's not just one person praying. The, the whole church is praying together. People are sharing about what's going on. Uh, my wife and I, we live a little bit further out. So we, we try to, you know, plan out, make the drive, come on Wednesday nights. If we can't do it, then, then maybe I'll stay home with the kids and, and my wife will come or she'll stay home with the kids and I'll come. Um, you know, do what it takes, right? But, but be a part of sort of the congregational life of the church beyond Sunday morning. And then finally, show up at every gathering of the church with the aim to build up the body, right? Your goal every Sunday, every Wednesday, every growth group your mindset should be, I am coming to build up my brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, what an amazing thing that God would take a flawed, finite, imperfect person like you and use you to strengthen another believer's faith, to strengthen another believer's hope and love for Christ. Uh, you know, know that amid all that you're struggling with, amid all your weaknesses, and hurts and distractions that God intends to use you for the good of his people. You, you just showing up on Sunday mornings is an encouragement to the people around you. Um, you being here, you singing, you praying, that is an encouragement. But even beyond that, you have a chance to now speak. And, and God can use that powerfully. So, so, so come on Sundays with the prayer, Oh, Lord. Help me to build up your body today somehow, right? But in some, in some small way, 
Make that your prayer and your passion. Verse 12, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. We began by asking, what is a Spirit-filled gathering of the church? We know that the Spirit is present when we are built up in Christ. And we know the Spirit is present when we are more concerned about building up others than ourselves. And so as a result, we come to the gathering eager and earnestly desiring to speak clear and intelligible words. We, we put aside our preferences and our ambitions to do whatever it takes to see that God's people are built up in Christ. Friends, if you see that going on in the church, know that the Spirit of God dwells there. Brothers and sisters, does the Spirit of God dwell among us? Let's pray. And before I lead us in prayer, let's just take a moment to reflect on what you've heard and respond to God just in your own words. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that Warnall Road Baptist Church would indeed be a church where your spirit is manifest here in our midst, where his power is at work in our lives and put on display for all to see. Lord, help us to come out of ourselves, Lord, that we would strive for the building up of your people. Oh, Lord, that that would be our passion, that that would be our aim. Oh, Lord, that we would each play the part that you have called us to play. Lord, that the church would be enriched by that. Oh, Lord, build up your church until Christ returns. And we pray this in his name. Amen.